I think that we're all horrified today by what we saw. The events of Baltimore City brought home in a very real way the ongoing conversation, the national conversation regarding injustice and who we are as a society. The reports from Ferguson and New York were easy enough to look on in, in distant horror, but today is a little different. Now, we could go in a lot of directions here. We could talk about our shared anger, our horror, our empathy, and our deep sadness. I think that's where a lot of us are tonight. Anger, horror, sadness. And it's probably going to get a lot worse before it gets better. But what can we do to be of real help? First, let's all channel our collective emotions in the right direction, shall we? Let's not take the social media and pass ourselves off as experts in law enforcement and urban policy or, well, anything. How can we do real good? It's in the way we treat one another. It's in the way that we decide if we tolerate injustice in any form, on any scale. There is no simple answer. But for now, when your first reaction is to speak or act in anger, just remember that there is one thing that we really need. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. And uh, today's April 27, 2015, and it's a dark night in Baltimore. This is episode 119. I am Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my sensual and experienced host who did that rousing cold open, Jake English. For those that are listening, you should be listening to us on our website at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also catch us over at the Baltimore Sports Report. Uh, check out Baltimore Sports Today for a daily uh, intro into Baltimore's podcast and Baltimore Sports. You should also be checking out Cody Colston on Baltimore Sports Report, who does a BSR weekly update. And tune in all season long when the Orioles play, because we're bringing you BSR postgame live. Um, you should also be following us on other third-party applications such as Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and that Apple product known as iTunes. And please, if you're going to go there, give us a review, give us a rating, whether it's between one or five stars. We just like to know that there are people out there listening to us. You should also be following us on social media at Facebook, but most importantly on Twitter at BirdseyeViewBAL. And Jake, with a somber heart for both of us uh, after the incidents today, um, I think both of us need a drink. So, Jake, what's your drink of the week? My drink of the week, I brought out the big guns. I'm going with the Perpetual IPA from Trogues, uh, which is fantastic beer, and I recommend it to anyone who's looking for a good IPA. Jake, I'm going with a Dogfish Head Namaste. It's a white beer similar to a Blue Moon type of beer. With, it's a weird beer. Uh, just a little bit more florally note with a little bit more orange peel. If you're looking for a a beer that's similar to Blue Moon, I highly recommend Namaste because it's a much better brew than the Coors Brewing Company can ever make. Never had it, and I'm officially uh, going to try some. All right. Now, if you're interested in what we're drinking throughout the week, you can catch us on Untapped. I am available at JakeE4025. Scott is at MAGN8606, and both of those accounts uh, tweet out to the Bird's Eye View account. Can I just say one thing about uh, the Bird's Eye View Twitter? Sure. Thank you. You all are phenomenal. Uh, we love talking Baltimore sports with you. We love sharing our passion about the Oriole, the Orioles. We recently passed 2,500 followers, which is ridiculous, ridiculous. and stupid and crazy. Yeah. Uh, thank you for making this Orioles thing so much fun. We, we really appreciate it. You folks really should have better people to follow, but <laughs> we realize that you're your last source for information and insight. Um, with that, Jake, you want to head over to the medical wing? Let's do it. All right, Jake. 
Going into the medical wing, yes, we're not going to do an entire segment on it, uh, <laughs> even though Derek Arnold would like us from Utah to report. But let's go in there. J.J. Hardy received a cortisone shot this week, hopes to hit the field again at the end of this week. No timetable, according to him. He's very frustrated. Yippee! Yeah. And again, this goes back to the contract. We loved it at the time. I still love it, but still love it. it's just something you have to deal with. And it's a further reason why signings like Everett Cabrera or having people like Ryan Flaherty as depth in your organization is critical. Unfortunately, Ryan Flaherty is injured. And that comes to the next one. Ryan Flaherty has a groin injury, 15-day DL. They called Ray Navarro up again. Another off-season signing that you would have looked back and said, yeah, do you really need to make that signing? And sure enough, Ray Navarro up with the team and making some decent contributions so far. Yeah, I, I've been pleasantly surprised by Navarro just because he hasn't been a gaping wound in the in the offensive uh, you know lineup. I, I knew that he was going to be able to defend because that's who Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter bring into this organization. But for the short period, as long as it's a short period, while Scope and Flaherty are out, they're happy. But, but you know go- when it gets really desperate is when they start playing Steve Clevenger at Norfolk at second base, which they did. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, other people that are injured, Matt Wieters, extended spring training, taking at bats, did some catching. They're hoping he can do back-to-back days shortly. Mm, again, no timetable. Yippee. <laughs> but in good news, I think, Hunter Harvey uh, had a 35-pitch rehab assignment just recently. I think it's shocking that he's coming back so quickly from that line drive. I think that's great news for you know not so much Hunter Harvey getting up to the major leagues this year, um, but just getting that progression and getting more time under him this year. I thought when he got hurt that uh, it was going to be midseason. He was going to lose a lot of the season. It's great that he's getting work again just this early into the season. Yeah. I'm really encouraged by that. Here, here. And we have heard nothing about Jonathan's Scope at this point. Is that correct? Just that he's wait- they're waiting for the swelling to come down. So that's to who, be expected. Who hasn't been there? No, that happens all the time in college for me. With that, I think there is no better time for us to wander into the twat. This week on the Twitter, and talking about swelling, this goes into my, oh, baby, category. It's your it's your heart that grew three sizes that day. That's right. Uh, this comes from Craig Calcaterra. You can be following him at Craig Calcaterra, who writes for Hardball Talk. He posts, I mean, irrespective of any point of analysis or whatever on which anyone can disagree, if you're asking who Jim Palmer is, go to school. There's like a 40% chance your mom watching was watching Jim Palmer pitch or looking at his magazine's ads is the reason you're here today. Nice. Yep. Yep. And while we're on the topic, Jim Palmer, or at Jim22Palmer, has been a wonderful addition to the Orioles' Twitterverse. Has he not? He has. That's why he was my good for last week. I, you know, I, I thought that it was going to be his handlers, but he is active, and you can tell it's him. Yep, it's definitely him. Um, next one goes into... Size matters, Jake. Go ahead. Well, uh, this comes from our, our friends at Camden Chat, who tweet, of course, at Camden Chat. You should make sure you're checking them out at camdenchat.com. Uh, you know you're reacting to a small sample size when Ryan Flaherty is hot and Jose Bautista is not. Yep, I, that, I think that says it all. That sounds about right. So, well we, done. We had a really good uh, conversation earlier uh, this week with uh, Mark Brown of Cam Chat, or last week, wow. uh, yeah. on Post Game Live on Channel BSR. If you, uh, if you missed that, go ahead and check it out on YouTube. Uh, this goes into the next one is, we miss you too, Jake. And Jake, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about Jake Area. Jake Area was taking questions and answers from various people, and somebody asked him, Beatles or Rolling Stones? And Jake Area responded, Beatles. Which... Is, means he's much better than most of the guest appearances that we have on this show. But Jake Arrieta is not the hero of this tweet. Oh, really? Who is? The hero of this tweet is the person that asked the question, asked the hard-hitting question. So we're going to give that person credit. It's Chris Gamez who tweets at Metzokist for life. Huh, Metzokist. That's yeah. all right. <laughs> Metzokist <laughs> for life. You are the hero. You, you the real MVP. Well, you know who the real MVP is? And it was you, Jake. And it was for you not going to the game on Sunday. So, <laughs> Jake, we were talking to Ranting Oriole and you can follow them at, at Ranting Oriole. And uh, we were discussing why the Orioles were doing so well on Sunday. And, uh, well, she sent over a very scientific uh, graph to us where it was basically no Jake equals good Orioles. And the demographic basically is the average goodness level is exponentially higher in terms of goodness level on that Sunday when Jake doesn't go to uh, Oriole Park or Camden Yards. You did a really good job of, of describing that very visual graph in an audio format. I thought I, I did pretty I, well. I, That's, I, it, it's actually kind of my job, so I should be pretty good <laughs> at it. We, we encourage you to go out and check out that tweet. 
Uh, next, we have a tweet from uh, a good friend of the program. We met him at the ballpark uh, while we were sitting with the Baltimoreans. This is JT Guauds, who, of course, tweets at Guadzilla. Guadzilla. Who uh, asks at Bird's Eye View BAL, Dan Duquette, do you love David Lowe now? Huh? Do you? Do you? Well done. Bravo. The answer is no. It's it's warming up, but it's still no. My heart of stone has no emotion for David Lowe. Uh, next one I want to go to is this is actually popping back into Craig Calcaterra. This is kind of popping back up on the soapbox that Jake was talking about. And uh, it comes back to a series of tweets that uh, Oreo CEO John Angelos put out yesterday in uh, response to um, WBL. Uh, and it was to Brett Hollander specifically. Um, and he posted in regards to the whole situation with the protesting and everything. Brett, speaking only for myself, I agree with your point that the principle of peaceful, nonviolent protest and the observance of the rule of law is utmost important in our society. MLK, Gandhi, Mandela, and all great opposition leaders throughout history have always preached this precept. Further, it is critical that in any democracy, investigation must be completed and due process must be honored before any government or police members are judged. I thought that was a really elegant thing. And he goes on there and discusses the plight within Baltimore where jobs are being moved overseas and really, you know, people being left behind and these working families that, you know, Baltimore was a blue collar town and the town has kind of passed them by. Our economy has passed them by and it's starting to become almost like a rest, a rust belt type of city in terms of regard. So it was a really interesting and, you know, I'm not sure if you have to agree with him or disagree with him. But it was really great words um, and really, I'm not so much inspirational words, but really well thought out words from an individual that was really you know, well-spoken in the way he presented it. And, I think, and especially on Twitter, too. That was pretty impressive. Yeah. No, it was very eloquent. I, I also thought that it, it kind of, we're stupid about sports. We're, we're dumb about sports, but I, I really felt like, you know, Angelus was understanding that the Orioles are a civic institution and a yeah. part of the fabric of the community. And so it was important that he or someone within the organization have something to say. And the fact that they did, I, I'm glad it was that. Yeah. So tip of the cap to CEO Jan- John Angelus on that one. Uh, you know, it was just something that touched me pretty well. Um, last one I want to go to is uh, one of our Twitter fans, Steve Frew. You can follow him at O's Fan Forever. Posted a great picture tonight of the Oriole bird uh, frowning and then a teardrop rolling down his right eye. Uh, we'll post it to our blog post, but really a great symbi- symbolic post, in my opinion, of blending baseball and the situation currently in Baltimore tonight. So, Steve, great job and great work on that. Um, it really, you know, it wasn't a great week going into this um, situation. Really bad series last week in, in Toronto. Um, really bad game on Friday, and luckily the Orioles were able to pull it out on Saturday after some bad situation. But I want to talk about um, some issues that are going on in the bullpen that we haven't come used to. So let's let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back and talk about the bullpen. The uh, Orioles' bullpen has been a constant source of strength since 2012. The performance, but also Buck Walter's ability to make the right move to get out of a bad situation has really allowed them to it's exceed expectations and really be one of the things that basically have them be you know, overperform in terms of sabermetric and pagoda projections. Um, but so far, that's kind of disappeared this year. The Orioles' bullpen uh, has thrown 66 and a third innings pitched, fourth most in Major League Baseball, and has yielded a 4.48 ERA, 28th in Major League Baseball, 4.77 FIP, last in Major Leagues. 
and a 4.45 xFIP or 28th in Major League Baseball, which is good for a combined team war of negative 0.1. That doesn't sound good. No, it's not great compared to like the Royals and the Yankees who are posting a 1.3 and a 1.2 war. Uh, the Orioles bullpen normally has been one of the top teams in terms of war. And I'm not a big war person, but in terms of the bullpen, I think we all can agree that the bullpen hasn't been cutting it lately, and there's definitely con- some concern at this time. The question is, is there concern moving forward in this season? Well, regardless of whether or not war is a good stat, the vast difference between what we've been used to, both in results and what we've been used to as far as the war statistic versus what we're getting now, is certainly the, the, the great variance there should open your eyes that something is different and something is wrong. Now, the, the thing is, is that you know everybody asked at the end of the offseason, what are we going to do without the offense? The offense has been chugging along, yeah. but it can't carry both the the starting rotation and the bullpen. Yeah, and, and I, that's the difference. And I think it's also a situation, too, of a lot of people are going to come back and say, well, the Orioles should have signed Andrew Miller. And I understand that to a certain regard, but this team wasn't going to go out and spend four years for $36 million on a reliever. We've tried that before in the past during the Dark Ages, and that has always come back to burn us in the butt. And how many innings really would he have been effective in in, in this point in the season, and wouldn't he just be burned out like the rest of them? He'd be eight to ten innings in, and that'd be about it. Um, uh, the one thing I wanted to look at was the number side was Babbitt, and again, that's batting average for balls in play. Normally, you know, it's right around 300. The Orioles bullpen has always outperformed this to a certain regard. They've been around 270, and that number is exactly the same as it has been in previous seasons. It's right around 270. Um, now, the one thing that is different this year um, is they are a little bit more prone to the long ball, 12.3% home runs per fly, fly ball. It's a little bit higher than normal. Orioles bullpen is normally around 10, 10.4-ish. Um, so that's definitely a slight increase. Um, but the biggest thing that I noticed was uh, their performance in stranding runners. And we had talked about this before, about why are Orioles pitchers always underrated? And one of the things that we talked about them being underrated with is their starters and bullpen are able to strand runners due to that defense that's behind them. But so far this season, 69.6% LOB, really poor. Um, not quite at the bottom of the league, but definitely in the lower percentile. And again, over an entire season, that's sure to rebound. It has to. I mean, it's as simple as that. There's just no way that it's going to be that low. Um, the other big thing that I at least saw, Jake, and maybe you can verify this too, it certainly seems like command has been an issue for the Orioles bullpen. There certainly seems to be a lot more walks given up by the Orioles bullpen at this time. Yeah, and it's all about timing. You know, we talk about variance. We talk about luck. You know, we, here you are discussing, well, the BABIP really isn't that much worse. But it just seems like the sequence of events has been really terrible this season and the, the fact that we're so we're so spoiled with good defense. We're so spoiled with a dominant bullpen. Just look at, what was it, Friday night's game? Manny Machado boots that ball at yep. third base, and Darren O'Day, who's one of our, our historically more reliable uh, relievers, gives up a three-run home run to completely wipe out the fact that the offense had come back and tied the game at four. They end up losing, what, I think it was seven to five in that yep. particular game. You're seeing sequences like that take place in a lot of the losses, yeah. in a lot of the really gut punch losses, and is it a command issue or is it because not only are they struggling, but the the bullpen is being put into really high leverage uh, positions with little room for error, and unlike what we've seen in the past, they're wilting. Yeah, I think that's the bigger thing. I mean, I think if you go back to the 2012 season, they did amazing during all that extra inning stretch. I don't think the leverage in the situations or are, are that in any way different. I just think that in, in a certain situation, they're putting themselves into bad positions, walking people, and then if there's a defensive error, they're not able to erase that mm-hmm. pitching error with the walk. So, um, you know, looking at the walk situation, the Orioles are only at a 19.5 K percentage and 10.1 walk percentage. That yields a 9.4, which is really um, poor. Is the easiest way to say that. Say that. Uh, and their walks are up significantly. Um, last year they were right around like a mid seven percent, and now they're up to 10.1 percent. That's a pretty big difference over a three year span. So um, I, I think it's one of those situations where command is going to have to be a big thing. And there's certain players that are having that issue, and there's certain players that are not. So. I just wanted to quickly tackle through the bullpen and just kind of talk briefly. Zach Burton, I'm not worried about it at all. I know he had a rough outing on Saturday. But again, coming back to the Manny Machado, that should have been an easy double play ball. He didn't set his feet correctly, threw the ball away. But you look at Zach Burton's numbers and you look at how he's performing out there, I got no concern for Zach Burton. It, this is one of those cases where the peripherals say that he's going to be fine. Yeah. 
Um, which is usually not the case when we're talking about the peripherals. Usually not. Brad Brock is also an interesting individual, and I was really high on him coming into the season. Um, you know, he's had some bad, you know, games, but in all honesty, he's pitched really well recently. Strikeouts are higher this year. Walks are constant like he was. Um, and, you know, his LOB is down just like the rest of the team. But the thing that's really interesting to me is his ground balls are extremely high right now, 53.8% ground ball. It's certainly not a Zach Burton-like number, but that's really encouraging to me. Over the past five games, Shake, in six and two-thirds innings, he's pitched to a 1.35 ERA. I think that if Bradbrock can continue to minimize those walks and have that increased ground ball and strikeout ratio, that he's going to be a great setup man for this team going forward. Buck really hasn't used him in that position yet. But I think it's going to be coming very soon because he'll be a seventh or eighth inning guy. Well, yeah, and and I think that that's recognized within the bullpen. Darren O'Day is especially a guy who's been singing the praises of Brad Brock. So as Zach Breton said, he's, he could be a closer. <laughs> Absolutely. The thing that I find interesting with Brad Brock right now is I agree with you 100%. He's a guy that you can trust in the late innings. He's a guy you can trust in the high leverage situations. He's, though, been coming out in situations where the starters fail. Yeah. He's been giving, you know, two, 2.1 innings. You know, he's been giving you length in addition to quality. And I think that that also kind of harkens back to the discussion we've had so many times about, you know, isn't it stupid to have a closer? You know, shouldn't you have your, your best reliever in in the most critical spot? And if you're trying to save a game from becoming a loss in the you know fifth inning, well, right now, that's that's Brad Brock. Yeah. Or Brad Brock. Brad Brock. Um, the other individual that actually was similar in Brad Brock in terms of coming in there and pitching multiple innings in previous seasons has been Darren O'Day. But he's been fairly homer happy lately. He's got a 2.16 Home runs per nine, which is, um, how do I put this? Really, 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 really bad. Like double Tommy Hunter. Kevin Gregg-esque. Uh, let's not go that far. But his career average is 0.88. So from going from 0.88 to 2.16, pretty poor. Um, but again, I look at it, you know, all his peripheral numbers are great. 90.9% left on base, 0.095 Babbitt. He's just given up the long ball a little bit more often. Um, there really doesn't seem to be anything too big but the one thing that i had noticed is i went through and looked at the three-year status set and it looks like when o'day's fastball velocity dropped below 87 miles per hour he has a tendency to be hit harder um i'm not saying that's the entire situation but it certainly seems like o'day's a little bit lower in velocity to start the season i think as soon as he ticks it up just a few more miles per hour we're not gonna have an issue if he can get up to 87 to 88 shouldn't be an issue and he's been that for several seasons now i have a theory okay it's because he throws like a girl uh, he throws like a girl, but that slider that rises is pretty sexy, I will admit. So if just, I could throw like a girl like that, I would do that. Just ask him. That's what he says. But I have no issues with Darren O'Day. I understand that there are people that are concerned about the home run tendency, but I honestly think that it's somewhat of an outlier. So um, someone that is not really an outlier in terms of uh, home runs, though, is Tommy Hunter. And this gets into a dangerous ta- territory. Boom. Please don't go boom. Please don't go boom. Please don't go boom. And people have always said... Big home run issue. In fact, he's had very similar numbers in home runs per nine in 2013. So 1.08 to 1.15. And I know a lot of people are going to hark on the aspect of last year he was terrible. But in terms of home runs per nine, 0.59. One of the best people on the team, even better than like a Brad Brock. Um, But I think the bigger issue that I'm seeing from this year is he just doesn't seem to have that strikeout performance like he did before. He's putting a lot more balls in play. And when Tommy Hunter puts balls in play... You're like, oh, God, oh, God, stay in the yard. He goes stay in boom. The yard. Yeah. Um, so that's my biggest concern is I don't think Tommy Hunter is going to be the guy we want him to be until he starts to get that strikeout right back up again. I haven't, and I'm going to ask you because I'm, I'm asking out of ignorance, I haven't seen a velocity difference. There, I, I looked at it, and I didn't see anything in the numbers anyway, so... I haven't seen a difference in his cutter. I, I haven't. I, there, I couldn't come across anything in the numbers that made sense. So it, it could just be... It could be just variance. Uh, the only thing I'm going to look at, too, and I might write an article about this on Baltimore Sports Report, so check there later this week. I'm wondering if he's changing his pitch selection and going more to his breaking ball more often. And if that's the case, then... Maybe he's throwing Kevin uh, Kevin Gosman's uh, curveball. Slurve? Yeah. <laughs> you know who I really love in the bullpen? Oh, wait. I meant the exact opposite. Is Brian Mattis. Brian Mattis has been an absolute train wreck in the bullpen. His he walk- was a great starter in the spring. He was, but his walks are killing him. He's up to 7.88 walks per nine innings, and that's up from 3.2. Now, I'm not Here's a numbers Kyle guy, Arthur. but that sounds like a lot. That's uh, pretty much almost like double what Abaldo Jimenez had last year. <laughs> um, he's also yielding a extreme amount of line drives, 33.3% line drives. Um, the one thing I did find interesting was looking at his numbers. 
he's going a lot more to that changeup. He's up from 11% to using it to up to 30% of the time now he's using it. And we know that Brian Madison's changeup has never been good. That's the whole reason he wasn't a predominant starter. Well, not good for us, no. Oh, okay, that's fair, true. <laughs> now, is there anything to fall back on? You know, we, we talk about we all we talk a lot often, Mike, about you know are, are the numbers a, uh, a indicator of results or approach? You know, we've had this conversation in the past. I wonder if he's going to the changeup a lot. Is there something wrong with the fastball? You know, is the velocity not there? Is the command not there? Is just the feel not there? I'm going to be watching with a critical eye for his next couple of uh, appearances. May they be far and few between, but to see what this fastball looks like, is he hitting his spots or is it when he gets a called strike with the fastball, you know, does the catcher move all the way across the plate? That kind of thing. Totally agree. It's just really, really frustrating in terms of how everything has gone about. And it's not like he doesn't have a decent slider. I don't really understand why he doesn't go to just like he did last year four seamer slider. Four seamer slider, you know the changeup he can use five to ten percent of the time, but to go from ten percent to thirty percent, huge change, really weird. Don't like it. Let them know you've got it, but don't show it too much. Correct, exactly. Um, again, don't get too smart for your own good. Know what kind of good pitches you have in your slider and your fastball are your good pitches, and really that's all you really need in the bullpen as well, especially as a loogie. So um, David Ortiz doesn't like him. Now, one person that really only has two pitches right now and is working on his third is Kevin Gaussman. He's been working on his slider, or is it a curve, or perhaps it's a slurve. But it's been disastrous. Jake, I like to look at um, pitch value over 100, and it's at negative 11.01. That's worse than Abaldo Jimenez's breaking balls from last year. Much worse. Man, we are just crushing Abaldo Jimenez, even though he's been all right. Last year. We're crushing last year's Abaldo Jimenez. Um, I guess my thing is, if he's got the split finger and he's got the fastball, great. He can make that work out of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. But if we really want him to develop this slurve, do we really want him doing it out of the bullpen in situational innings? Or do we want to say, head on down to Norfolk, work on your slurve. We're going to bring up a player like TJ McFarland and have him pitch as the long man out of the, out of the bullpen. Uh, you know, I mean, I have to defer and, and see how you feel about this. I, I don't think that Kevin Gosman can learn a pitch that's going to beat major league hitting in the minors. And I don't think that because he won't need it. His fastball can beat anybody in AAA. And I think his split finger changeup can beat anybody in the minors. And frankly, as a minor league pitcher, even a starter, I don't think you need to have that devastating third pitch or even just a third pitch that's, that's you know, sure. borderline plus. It sucks, but I think if he's going to make that next step, he needs to be doing it against the best. That's just my opinion, and it may be... It may be a bad one, but I'd be curious to hear what you have to say. I don't know. Uh, a part of me says, yeah, you're absolutely right. But my other thing is I'd rather him work on mechanics and touch and feel for it down in Norfolk. And I don't care if it – I'm looking for you know generating whiff percentage. And I understand to a certain regard that's not going to be the case. It's going to be a lot better in Norfolk than it is going to be up here. But I'm also looking at – command of your slurve and how it goes through the zone and generating a whiff percentage i think you can easily do that to a certain regard in norfolk i don't want to jump too far ahead so sure. give me a dirty look if i if i go too far mm. but i think there's a difference you and i again off mic have talked about steve johnson yeah and and how he is or is not doing faring well down there and i think there's a difference between you know whiff percentage and general effectiveness in a guy like steve johnson with his stuff versus a guy like Kevin Gosman with his stuff, because the stuff of Kevin Gosman is going to blow him away. Oh, absolutely. Whereas Steve Johnson is 89 mile per hour. He has to pitch. Right. He's an invisible pitcher, basically. So he's pitching situationally, but he doesn't have the stuff to do it. Um, I I will say I was giving Steve Johnson a little bit of a hard time on Twitter Mm -hmm. um, earlier this week saying, you know, he's probably not a very good pitcher and he's probably not going to ever make a big impact. But then looking at his Norfolk numbers, his Norfolk numbers are pretty darn impressive. He's got like, 16 strikeouts and only like one walk and you know his strikeout to walk ratio is amazing so um buck actually have, was mentioned um of saying he's an option for us going forward the only thing is he doesn't have any minor league options available he would also have to be added to the 40-man roster so if he does come up um he can't go back down without passing through ravers well how are we going to make room for him in the first place yeah um, that comes to the individual like, questioning, which is Jason Garcia. He's really worked only a mop-up duty. His velocity is not in the upper 90s. He only has a four-seam fastball and a sinker that works, and he's getting walloped in games while pitchers just, uh, batters just wait for this. 
uh, no off speed, which basically he's not MLB ready. He's got terrible command. The scouting reports all said this coming into the season. That's why the Red Sox didn't protect him because they didn't think anyone would select him. Um, I, I just don't see it. I don't see how he can be a major league pitcher through the entire season. I just don't see it. Maybe he's got all the promise in the world. Maybe he does. And and maybe evaluated, talent evaluators that are better at this than we are because it's their job look at that guy and they say, you know what? He's raw, but the talent is there. However, the the potential mm-hmm. is there. The talent is not yet. And that would have been okay for a team that's terrible. But if you expect the Orioles to win games, we we can't be doing this. No, yeah. It's it's one of those situations exactly as I said. If you want to be a winning team, you can't do it. The only thing that ponders in my head is if the Orioles are going to try to hold him off just long enough for him to get qualified and then be like, oh, yeah, you know that reduction of velocity? Yeah, it's like a, it's an it's an elbow issue, so we're going to put you on the 60-day uh, DL, and now we've got you. How's that rotator cuff treat? Yeah, you? exactly. Oh, hey, is that a pothole there? <laughs> those, but, are, those are some really dark thoughts you've got there, Scott. Those are some really dark thoughts, but you know what? I think we can go darker. Let's test ourselves. You know, uh, things got bad this week. Five consecutive losses, they're they're never fun. But the Orioles found new and interesting ways to beat themselves. The starters imploded early. The bullpen, well, we've talked about the bullpen. And the lineup, you know, they went cold at times for hitters not named Adam Jones. Oh, no! We suck again! That's how it felt. Things were pretty bad. The worst of it was that it looked like the Orioles of old. The Orioles, as we like to call to it, of the dark period very dark these weren't uh the team that we've come to know since 2012 games were over as soon as they began it was as if for a brief span the dark period had never ended jake i wondered to myself what would this podcast be like well it was another rough one for the orioles last night and i don't know why we're continually surprised considering it looks like this team's on its way to its 18th consecutive losing season. And for some reason, we still care, Jake. Uh, Well, this Yankee series was an improvement over last series when the Mariners came into town and blew the Orioles' doors off. The offense, led by M's all-star center fielder Adam Jones and assisted by left fielder Nelson Cruz, put a hurting on Orioles' starting pitcher, especially our number one starter, Brian Mattis. And for those of you who weren't uh, able to watch the game, and that's that's probably most of you, considering that the Orioles' television rights are owned by the franchise in Washington, uh, I hope that you were able to hear the call on the radio flagship WNST. Yep, this one was artful in its brutality. The Yankees were in town, which meant that Yankee Stadium South at Camden Yards was in full effect. It's been several years now since the Maryland Stadium Authority sold the naming rights to the Yankees and Red Sox for when they're in town, but I think I'm starting to get used to it. You know what I'm not used to? The house that Jeter built, Cannon Yards. Seeing the O's get dominated without him. It's weird, but, you know, ever since that young New York phenom took over for Jeter to take the left side of the infield with his hero, Alex Rodriguez, it it just seems like we don't have a chance. Yeah, that kid Manny Machado is going to have a plaque in Monuments Park someday. Just you watch. But hey, let's get back to the game, all right? It's the games we're here to talk about. The O's lost in embarrassing fashion, 13-2. Manager Rick Dempsey was ejected again, but I think he was just frustrated that uh, whatever the terrible pitcher we've got right now couldn't hold it together for his customary three-inning stint. You know, I know things were bad, but we should probably, Scott, you know, try to give people hope and talk about, well, the heroes of the game from the Orioles' standpoint. You're absolutely right, Jake. I mean, Jeremy Cuthery was pressed into service as a DH, replacing Jack Cust on the base pass. You know, I'm so glad we got that guy back. I mean, we really needed an affordable big bat on this team. Yeah, that's the kind of value that you're looking for for a team like this. So anyway, yeah, Guthrie singles in the ninth, driving in two runs to avoid the Birds' 10th shutout of the season. You know, I think this is a really good sign of things to come. I think that if the Orioles can keep this up, if they can put together some wins, hear me out now, they might actually give the Rays a run for their money for fourth place this year. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. That seems a little unlikely. The domination from Boston and New York would be one thing, but with the Blue Jays' new wonder GM, Dan Duquette, I don't know how either Montreal 
or Baltimore stands a chance. That's right. Those Montreal Rays, no, they're they're probably going to beat us. But, you know, I got to tell you, I I don't know why. I don't know why, but I still believe. And I know that, you know, since the naming rights thing happened, we're not allowed to play Orioles Magic at the stadium anymore. But I think there's still a little left. Sounds like someone's had too many drinks of the week. We'll be right back, everybody. The twist and I just gotta keep insisting Oh baby You sure do swing When it comes to twist and I just gotta keep insisting on oh, daddy You are the king Baby you got me beat up and down inside out and across Yeah, back to being the boss. That was nice. I, I feel like we should explain to the listeners that may not have, have been here for last season or the season before. Uh, there are two versions of the song, of, at least of which we are aware. Oh, there's multiple versions. Uh, I've got a version. Scotty's got a version. And so you can basically tell in an instant who's one fantasy boss yeah. in any given week. My my version, of course, is Brian Setzer and Gwen Stefani. Scott goes a little more classical. We go Elvis Presley and Anne Margaret. And Anne Margaret is a fox. Well, she was the boss. All right, yeah. so so I hear Elvis and Ann Margaret. That tells me bad news for the good guys. Yeah, infield fly ball percentage was the stat we used last week, and uh, we both pitched starters. Miguel Gonzalez had 25% of his fly balls uh, be infield flies. Tilly, 20%. Uh, hey, Jake, first and second again this week, so congratulations for that. But uh, fortunately, I picked first this week. So uh, Scott gets the win this week, ties the score up at 1-1. One to one. Um, we're going to broaden out the statistical aspect again and kind of go into something that is talked about on the show occasionally, and that's WPA, which is win probability added, which tries to capture the change in win expectancy from one plate appearance to the next and credits or debits a player based on how much action increased in terms of odds of winning. So, for example, like Delman Young's ALDS game number two um, during the playoffs last season had a huge win probability added. I think it was like 0.624 for just that one play alone. So an absolutely huge uh, moment for Delman Young. So that's the kind of high win probability added situations that you're looking for from a player. All right, so I've got a bunch of dumb questions before we go any further. Bring it. Let's talk about wins probability added. Sure. The first thing I want to know is, is, is it a stat that tells us something about the future? Meaning, is it predictive? Is it repeatable? Is it something that we can look at a, a player and say their win probability added is a, is a pattern? Or is it something that tells us something about the result of a game. I, I think it's more of a situation of giving a result um, for an entire season. So, for example, if I'm looking at a player over an entire season for maybe an MVP consideration, I may use look at win probability added on top of an MVP situation just to see how good that player was in certain situations. And, and it's cumulative, right? So you can basically count up. He, he, this player accumulated X number of, of wins in win probability added? Correct, exactly. And also it works in the negative fashion too. So if you have a player that has a terrible game, um, let's say you had a golden sombrero game with four strikeouts and the bases were always loaded, your win probability added may be like negative 0.2 or negative 0.4 in that game. All right, so we're talking about though the change in the in the win expectancy, right? That is correct. So let's just let's let's look at two great performances. Let's let's look at uh, you know Orioles jump out to an early lead, yep. and then Adam Jones comes up and just crushes the crushes ball. Crushes it. Has a great you know four for five day. Right. A crap ton of RBIs, but all of his RBIs come out after the Orioles already have the lead. And, and at that point, he's not going to add much win expectancy to the total. It's great that he had four RBIs or whatever in the eighth and ninth inning. But it's not as critical as it was earlier in the game when it was a one-to-one game. Cat was already in the bag. Cat was already in the bag, yeah. On the other side of things, think, look back at the ultimate grand slam from yep. uh, Chris Hoyle. So uh, bottom of the ninth, down by three runs, three runners on. You hit a four-run home run. The win expectancy shifts immediately. You got to get almost one whole game from that, right? Right, exactly. I, and that's, it, it might not have been a whole game, but it was definitely probably like a 0.6 or 0.7 situation. Uh, recent event, uh, Stephen Drew hitting the Grand Slam against us, putting the Yankees ahead from being in a 4-2 deficit to a 6-4, to um, and that actually had them win that game. Um, that 
win probability added for that just that play alone for Stephen Drew was 0.624. So that's the kind of big plays that you're looking for from a win probability added standpoint. All right, now here's the rub. Yeah. This is what I, I, I want to make sure that I understand and, and, and also the listeners. Does wins probability added measure anything other than who was involved in the game-changing moments of a game and, and maybe quantify uh, you know, who was in that situation the most and, and whether or not they came through? Is there anything else that we're supposed to be trying to track with this stat? It generally only looks at uh, pitchers and hitters to a certain regard in terms of win probability added. The one thing I do have an issue with to a certain regard is um, it doesn't do a great job with picking up defensive miscues. So, for example, if Manny Machado didn't get that double play and had the error, I don't think win probability is going to attribute as much as it probably should in that given situation. It's going to give it more to Zach Britton, which okay. I have a slight issue with. I, I hear that. All right, so you have presented the uh, the stat. It is my turn now. Yes, to, you can to pick select. anybody. You can pick a batter. Uh, you can pick a pitcher. Anybody that could make a contribution to a game. All right, I'm going to make my selection. I'm going to have you make your selection. Then I'm going to ask you what you think about my backup so- selection. All right? Okay, go ahead. I'm going to go with Manny Machado. All right. I'm going to go with Manny Machado for a couple of reasons. Manny Machado, I think, over the course of the next week is going to appear both at the top and the bottom of the lineup. So Wait. he's going to be in a lot of positions where he's going to have runners on. I think that he had a really good week last week. Absolutely. So it's possible that he's going to come through in those situations. I Scotty. think he's a definitely a player that's getting hot at the right time, and I think that's a great pick. I'm going to go a little bit different. I think it's going to be a very a lot of close games this this week. Um, I think they're going to go you know, two to one games. So I think we're going to start to rely more on that bullpen. And I think we're going to have to have a lot of close games that are going to require someone to finish the game out. And the one big person that was great in terms of win probability added for last season was Zach Burton. I think those close games are going to encourage the closer to get some additional win probability added. So I'm expecting Zach Burton to pop in here and appear for two to three games, get some win probability added for some really close games. I'm going with Zach Britton for my WPA. All right, you're going to go with Zach Britton. I'm going with Manny Machado. Can I just throw this by you? I'm curious as to what you think. Sure. Brad Brock. Brad Brock is interesting because remember my prediction at the beginning of the season was he was going to be a great win probability added uh, player. Until I think he starts throwing in the seventh or eighth inning, I don't think he's going to be a great win probability added player. I think you really need to be in those higher leverage situations in order to really see a significant gain in terms of win probability added. I think he, once he gets to that point and he's – Working that eighth inning, great. But like a Darren O'Day or a Zach Burton out of the bullpen, it's going to have a much better track record of win probability added. And if the starters continue to perform a little bit better, the role that Brad Brock is playing is going to diminish in the bullpen because he's not going to be coming in as a fireman. Correct, exactly. Or unless it's a really close game. If it's a 0-0 game and like we and Chan goes eight innings, uh, we and Chan might get a good amount of win probability added to a certain regard. But uh, there's going to need to have someone push the Orioles over the cusp. Um, so Jake, you're going with Manny Machado, hoping he stays hot. I'm going with Zach Burton, hoping that games are closed. Hoping we need him. Yeah. And, uh, we'll go from there. So let's go through, um, you know, who was good, who was bad and who was ugly this week. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, Jake, you did an amazing job last week with your ugly. Do you want to go first this week, or do you want me to go oh, first? Because this week? the the quality and and the uh, yeah the quality and the and the volume of your uglies far exceed the quality of my own. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get started and go through my good for this week. My good, you know, I hate to, to harp on it twice. My good is going to be Manny Machado because of the week that he had last week. Look, Manny. Uh, really came out after he had a slow start. Uh, he hit 364 this week. He had uh, eight hits in his 22 at-bats. He hit two important home runs, again, in a loss, but he, he single-handedly brought a game back from a laugher to being a close one. Um, and he also had an impact in the game offensively throughout the week. I know he had a really crucial error, but we're spoiled with the fact that he plays just amazing defense. Manny Machado is a player that can not only uh, be in the two-hole and provide a table setting, he can also clean up those um, those base runners in the sixth or seventh hole. I think he's incredibly important to this lineup while some guys struggle, and he serves as a great complimentary piece for Adam Jones. He's going to be really big for us this week. He was great. I, I think Manny Machado is definitely starting to heat up the plate. 
the errors are what kicks him out of the good category for me. And it's actually interesting for me to think about it. I think J.J. Hardy being next to him serves as a great calming presence for him. I think Everest Cabrera being there almost makes Manny Machado feel like he has to overperform in order to pick up the rest of the infield to a certain regard. Yeah, and, and you know, scope is out too. Exactly. So I really am interested to see how Manny Machado steps up uh, both in terms of you know his presence in the lineup, but also defensively. Did, it certainly seems like he's been putting a lot of, on his shoulders lately. Did you just go to all gut feeling, stat boy? I, I, I just went all gut fluff feeling, yes. How does that make you feel? Uh, a little dirty inside. So next person that had no statistical background for being as good as he is, Jimmy Paredes, who is mm-hmm. another player that no one would have ever expected to be as big of a deal as he is. Nine RBIs in the past week, 400 average, and a 279 weighted runs created plus. Jimmy Paredes is playing out of his mind right now, and I hope that he continues it. Yeah, what what can you say more about him? Other than the fact that I, I, I wish that he played a position that was helpful to the team. Yeah, I think his primary position is third base, and he's not very good at it. Uh, but, you know, they, they played him at second one day. As long as he can keep hitting... And as long as Delman Young can play a passable right field, I think this team will be okay with him. All right, let's let's go ahead and do the bad. My bad for this week is I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's Brian Mattis. Look, I want to put Brian Mattis on an ice flow and just push. I don't think he provides any value to this team. You you said it perfectly. He's got a walks problem. It seems like every time he comes in, he walks the first guy, if not the first two. And those guys come around to score. Not only do they come around to score for him, but they come around to score when he gets yanked for another uh, reliever who's then put in an awful position because Brian Mattis let on yet another walk. Brian Mattis may be really good at getting David Ortiz out, and I applaud that, but he is being paid a lot of money, and he's doing very little for us. You know, Brian Mattis, the numbers, well, they, they speak for themselves. You know, he's, he's given up a 438 average against. He's got a 491 ERA and 3.2 innings pitched. He's given up seven hits. He's walked two others just in this past week. It's bad. I'm sick of seeing Brian Mattis. I literally get a pit in my stomach when I see him warming in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Mine's got to go to Jason Garcia, who's just bad and doesn't deserve to be on this team. He's a single light pitcher that really needs to go back and work on his stuff. And there's no way that he should be in the major league bullpen at this time. I'm looking for someone to come up and take his spot. Steve Johnson, TJ McFarland. I hope you're on call very soon. All right, let's go ahead and do the ugly. Uh, there's so many places we could go for ugly this week uh, outside of baseball. I'm going to stick to baseball uh, just because I, as Scott so eloquently put, I've been on my soapbox tonight. Um, I hate knowing that the game is over in the early goings. I hate knowing how the game is going to end. I hate seeing the Orioles get behind by a bunch of runs and knowing that the offense is not going to be able to come up. I hate knowing how innings are going to end before they, they do, you know, as soon as you get runners on, you just know there's going to be that double play to be the gut punch. We've seen a lot of 2010 baseball out of the Orioles this week. It's the worst. It's just the worst, you know, for, for nothing else. The last three years have been exciting because for the long first time in a long time, it's been unexpected. Yeah. And uh it it was really difficult. Again, five games, and it's not like it's gonna be like this all the time. I think it's impossible for the Orioles to play worse than they've played collectively in those five games. But boy, that five game stretch was ugly. It was just tough to stomach. At one point I literally had to like remind myself when the last time they won was. Ugly. No bueno. What do you got, Scotty? Jake, the ugly is obvious after that last situation. And it has to be you. You and the rest of the Baltimore Orioles fans are completely ugly. You have taken a five-game losing streak. Do I need to go back in just a few years and remind you of September's where we only won three games in an entire month? And you're complaining about losing five games in a row? Three games also to a really good team in the Toronto Blue Jays that we all knew coming into the season was going to be good and had a lot of good young talent. Jake. Are you kidding me? You're going to whine about the aspect of a five-game losing streak. Do you know how selfish you are? Do you know how shallow you are? 96 wins last year has made you all weak, weak, weak people. You might as well just go and root for the Baltimore Ravens because that is the kind of attitude that I expect from those kind of bandwagon-type fans. You and the rest of the Baltimore fans that have complained about this five-game losing streak— are ugly. And there's no way in the world 
comparison should never be made to the Dark Ages. So all of you, you're on notice. Can I can I briefly respond? Yes. First of all, do I know how shallow I am? Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes I do. <laughs> um, okay. Um, with that, <laughs> that's all the defense I've got. That's all the defense you have. I'm going to blow the save. Um, so, Jake, you were not there on Sunday. Thank you very much for not coming to it. <laughs> you're very welcome. But uh, the one thing I wanted to blow the save with was went to a baseball game by myself with my dad. It was the first time in 10 years me and my dad had gone to a baseball game together. Really cool day to go with him. Just see an offensive outburst and just talk about baseball. And step back from numbers a little bit and just talk fundamentals from me and him. He was my baseball coach when I was a kid. And just talk fundamentals less like, hey, did you notice that he's not planting his foot like that and positioning it to a certain regard? And, you know, you take a step back and you're like, you know what, that's not something that numbers would have taught me and it's something that I would normally not focus on. But it's that kind of presence and everything like that that I really do appreciate. So, Dad, thanks for coming out to the baseball game with me. It was a really good time. I enjoyed it. Hopefully I can do it again very soon. With that, Jake, I guess we'll uh, go ahead and start wrapping up this uh, wonderful episode. There is nothing that I can say that will will compete with that. Baltimore and beyond, I love you. Well, take care of one another. Take care of one each other. Protect each other. Let's see if we get a baseball game in Baltimore this week. There's talks of uh, baseball games maybe being moved down to Nationals Park. Um, there's talk about games maybe being moved to the afternoon. We're just going to have to see. But we will be there with you. And check us out on Post Game Live if it's not during the afternoon. If it's during at nighttime, then Jake and I will be on occasionally this week. But check out BaltimoreSportsReport.com slash live after the games. I got nothing left. Baltimore Beyond. Adieu. Adieu. Baltimore, be safe out there. We love you very much. All you need is love. Bump, ba 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 bum. Good night, Baltimore. Does that count as singing? We'll let it go this time. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.